Welcome to the Cobra Cast with the present VP. For this episode, we would like to thank these valued partners. Is your scratched window ruining your view? Starting from scratch to your experts at removing scratches from windows and any glass surface. Whether it's general scratches around the home or a knife graffiti tag shop front, they can remove it. They're also helping the environment by saving the window from being dumped into landfill while bringing the glass back to its former glory without the scratches. Don't replace your scratched window. Repair it with Starting From Scratched, your glass and scratch removal specialist for home, shop fronts and cars. Call today for a quote, 87595629 or find out more at startingfromscratch.com.au. Once airborne, we'll let you know when you may use approved electronic devices, but note that some items may not be... Welcome back to this uh, episode in the CobraCast USAFL week. We're, uh, we're just leaving Seattle and we're heading down down the West Coast. We're going to head down to uh, uh, OC, I guess, mate. No, mate, we're going to Atlanta, mate. We're in Washington, down in Atlanta. DC, state capital. Uh, country capital's not too far from Georgia. Mate, we were in Seattle, Washington. Top yeah, of the what, West. yeah, Washington. Yeah, Washington. To Washington. Georgia, a simple trip. Washington to Georgia. Right, that's Washington DC over here. We're right. in what Seattle, Washington. Oh. We just travel down the east, the west coast, right down there. Bang, OC. I was trying to work out why we were there. We didn't see the White House. That actually, yeah, okay. All right, so you thought we were in. Washington, D.C., which we weren't. We were nowhere near the White House. It's the opposite side of the country. Like, couldn't get further away from each other if we tried. Yeah, my bad, mate. So, all right, so where are we going then? Well, we're actually going two places. We're going to Atlanta and Rome in Georgia, which is, oh, yeah, the southeast part of the USA. Whoops. So we're going to Atlanta, Georgia. All right, let me let me just get this straight. And you said Rome. Well, when you told me Rome, I was I thought we we're going to Italy after this US trip. We we're going to Rome, Italy. No, no, there's a place in Georgia called Rome as well. Just about an hour out from the ATL. Oh. Hey, hey, net, net, You can blame me all you want for the stuff up of this trip, but that's on you to think that we're going to Rome, Italy after this trip. That's on you. Well, I guess I'm not getting any bloody pass then, I guess. Oh, Just go to Josh's house, mate. He'll have enough for a photo there for you. All right. Tell me how far is freaking Atlanta and, you know, how long? All right. So if we're coming from yeah, Melbourne down to Snake Pit and Sandown, it would be, yeah, probably about 20 hours because it's just under, sorry, just over 13,000 kilometres away. All right. And so Atlanta is just over 350 square kilometers, a uh, population of just over 500,000 people. In a bad town. Uh, so Atlanta is the home of the uh, Atlanta Hawks in the NBA, the Braves in the MLB, and the Falcons in the NFL. And uh, 
Like I said, we're going to Rome as well. Rome's also got a, you know, a minor league baseball tennis affiliated with the Braves from Atlanta, mate. Yeah, nice. Uh, Imagine being an Atlanta fan. Atlanta Falcons up 28-3 to and just get destroyed. Uh, All right. Anyway. Um, I'm not, I'm so, no, no, I'm not finished thinking about that. Okay, you're good now. Yeah, well, you don't have Brady anymore, so yes. Uh, anyway. What are, talking, what are we talking about? I have Brady. Tampa Bay fan, mate. Yeah. <laughs> of course you would be. <laughs> Uh, well, the food's in Atlanta. There's only three things you need in there. Barbecue, burgers, fried chicken. Everyone knows Atlanta is famous for good barbecue, good burgers, and bloody good fried chicken. Oh, I can't wait to get my uh, lips onto some of that. Um, and the Museum of Coca-Cola is located in Atlanta. It's going to be a fun trip when we go have a look at that, mate. So, uh... Quite a few famous people were born in the ATL, and when I'd done this research, mate, I figured, you know, I'm just going to cater to things that we enjoy. A bit of rap music. So, uh, first off, the rank, come off the rank, Andre 3000 from Outcast, and one of my personal favourites, T.I. Yeah, we've got 2 Chains, Future. You've got Little John. And okay! <laughs> 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 Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, who, who else you got, mate? Ah, Gucci Mane, Killer Mike, Kanye West is actually born in Atlanta as much as he claims Chi-Town, he's yeah. born in Atlanta. Uh, you got the Snowman, Young Jeezy, and you got Donald Glover. Yep. So, yeah, speaking of uh, Tyrus Gambino, it's also the uh, Atlanta is the city where this TV show Atlanta is set that Gambino is a star in. Guess it makes sense to have a show... Atlanta based in Atlanta. Better than having like the OC based in Atlanta, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Right. Um, all right. So we're going to have this chat in Atlanta. It's about, a big one. This one. It's got a lot of stuff involved in this one. So, so yeah. He's legend. Legend of the USAFL. Um, mate, been quite a successful player through his time and his coaching career as well. So enjoy the chat with Kraz. And, um, all right, steady the ship now, mate. All right. We've only got two days left, mate. We're fine. We'll get this done nicely. It's all good. We'll go down. I'm uh, pretty sure it's, um, memory serves me correctly. We've got Dallas and OC left. So I'm going to, yeah, I've always got Dallas set up for, for tomorrow. So I'll see you in Dallas. All right. Sweet. Enjoy. All right. So today we are joined by uh, USAFL, well, legend, I'd say. He's, uh, he's, Founded two clubs in his time. He's president of the Atlanta Cookaburras and one of the founders of the Rome. What's that team called? Redbacks. Rome Redbacks. Kraz, uh, how are you going, mate? Yeah, good, fellas. Good to talk to you. No, we appreciate you taking the time to join us on this. Uh, what is it? A Saturday morning for you? Yeah, not long out of bed actually. Just grab a coffee and here we are. Yeah, well, we'll we'll be uh, heading to bed soon after this, so um, and then straight back into it within about five hours, six hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, we do appreciate your time. Um, from what we hear, you've, you've you've been mentioned a couple of times with other teams we've spoken to, so um, you've been mentioned as a man to talk to, and we're glad to have you on. So let's get into it and 
and find out about how you first got involved in footy over in America to start with. Yeah, well, uh, I first started travelling over here in, I guess, the late 90s and um, I had known that there was a team in the Atlanta area and even now I'd spoken to well, one of the guys who was uh, starting to found the club at that time. I moved permanently over to uh, the States in 2002. I actually had played a game for Atlanta in 2001, but moved here permanently in 2002 and had um, you know, a fairly extensive background of footy in Melbourne and South Gippsland and been involved in the admin already. It was a pretty easy, uh, easy thing to jump right in to do as much as I can, I guess. Yeah, nice. So do you know when and how the, the Kookaburras were founded and, and why they chose the Kookaburras for their team? Um, originally, they were um, started by a guy named Mikey Powers, uh, who's also a legend in the USAFL ranks. And uh, that was around in 98. Um, Mikey had been involved in uh, assisting Nashville club starting and was living in the Louisville area and he'd been transferred down to Atlanta so he uh, had started a, a team there but the, the team didn't really play as a standalone team I don't think until about 2000 so about a year before I came onto the scene and um, then they played their first game as themselves where before that they had uh, joined with a couple of other teams in the area um, to play as a as a combined team, so uh, I was probably just a, a year or so behind him, and um, yeah, and but Mikey is pretty well known around USAFL circles as well as being one of the founders of the whole organisation. That's fantastic. Um, who was their first game against? Um, good question. I believe it was against um, a team. Um, might have actually been even Nashville. Um, the Atlanta-Nashville um, combination, uh, probably, probably two teams that have played each other the most over the, over the last 20 years. Um, but um, I'm not 100% sure, but I would say it was Nashville because Atlanta was joining with a team from uh, Tri-Cities, Tennessee, and some guys from uh, South Carolina. So um, they went on to uh, actually play in a Divi final in 2001 in second division of uh, the national championship so you know they, they sprung up pretty quickly and uh, were able to get their uh, things going so yeah lovely we'll just go with nashville and just for our sake rifty will say that they won the game as well yeah, no. <laughs> um so you've also uh, the kookaburras also have a women's team when did that get started and how did it come about yeah at the uh, 2003 and 2004 national championships there'd been um, some women's exhibition games and 2004 nationals were actually here in Atlanta. So um, we had pulled some uh, women over from rugby and Gaelic teams to do this exhibition match. Um, so well around 2005, we sort of decided that we'd try and get a, a women's team going. There was a sprinkling of another team down in Florida. So I actually started to coach that women's team in 2005. And uh, from then on, they basically were undefeated, I think, for about nearly four years until uh, they'd won three national championships and, uh, and were beaten by a Canadian team, I believe, in 2008 in Colorado. So, uh, and that sort of them and uh, two other teams sort of springboarded the uh, women's footy here in the US. So, um, had a team up north and, 
and one in Florida. That's incredible. So, the fact that it was back then women's footy was starting to make a, its way in America. Where over here, it's only been the last probably maybe four to five years. In the last two to three, it's really taken off. So it's actually quite funny that a native game to Australia, the women's side took off took off a decade earlier on the other side of the world. Well, there's been, obviously, there were some women's competitions there in Melbourne that go back a little bit into the 90s. But um, we were, no, we actually made a, a team up for the US team. And um, we actually played a game against Canada in 2008, I believe. Um, but in 2009, I coached the USA women's team, the Freedom. And we came down to Australia and played four games in 10 days. We played in Sydney went up to Cairns, played a game in Bend, uh, Bendigo, and then one game in, uh, in Melbourne, so, uh, which was the first international women's tour of Australia. That's, that's awesome. And um, like you said, it's good that the, the women have embraced the game over there just as much as the men. Have you found it hard during your time at the Kookaburras to get players and for both teams? And, and how many sort of players are there between the two teams now? Well, for the uh, women's team, it, um, after they finally uh, got caught up by some of the other teams around the country, they found it uh, difficult to stay as a group. And they actually disbanded at, uh, in 2010. Um, you know, women, they go on to have careers. Some of them have babies, they move away. And we found it really difficult to keep that nucleus going. And so it was around 2010, 2011, they played their, their last game for a while. Um, such is the case with a lot of football teams here in the US. Uh, they very uh, can be very transient. And Atlanta is one of those sort of cities. Uh, I always think Atlanta is a sort of a stepladder career city. People come there for their, their work or to go to college to Georgia Tech or UGA. Um, but they don't really stay for a long period of time. Um, so even though it's a very, very big city, it's very hard to find uh, people, and especially many Australians who all hang around for a long time. So it's always good to have a few Australians in your mix to be able to keep your team together and, and uh, help with coaching and things like that. But um, so the players at the moment, I think in, in the Atlanta count last year, like last year was in the low 20s, and uh, in the women, we, we tried to resurrect the women's team last year. We had four or five players. We played a sort of mini game against Nashville. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been a bit of a struggle over the last few years to try and, and get them back. Yeah, well, hopefully with all this stuff, uh, being stuck in isolation and whatnot, you'll have plenty of people ready to bust out of their houses and start playing sport and getting back involved once it's all over. Um, and so where do you... The, do the kookaburras get to train and play their games? Um, well, field uh, sizes here in most of the American cities is a bit of a concern. There isn't designated parkland like there is in Australia. There aren't massive uh, cricket fields or footy fields anywhere. So you try and play wherever you can. And um, you know, Atlanta has a, a small field. It's about 150 yards long by about 80, 90 yards across. That we use for training. It's in an area called East Atlanta, so it's about uh, four or five miles out of downtown. We've, we use various places around the town that we can find to use. The national championships in way back in the 2000s were 
played on polo fields, which were about 30 miles north of Atlanta, um, which were at that stage big enough to host the event. So um, field space is always a challenge here in the States. doesn't matter what team you talk to. Yeah, it's unfortunate. We um something that we are learning that we definitely take for granted over in Australia. So normally the next question we would ask is how hard is it to get playing gear and training gear? But you actually uh, started a shop called PlayAussie.com a couple of years ago to help give players in America a chance to get a better range of sharings and footies. How did you get that going and sort of what brought that on? Um, yeah, thanks. It was an interesting um, sort of turn of events. You know, the USAFL have been selling a couple of footies each year um, for a long time and um, at the national championships was where you normally buy one. But um, it was about two, two years ago, um, about this time two years ago, really, um, one of our players, our vice president, actually, um, uh, Braden Metters, was uh, having his honeymoon in, uh, on the Great Barrier Reef in Australia and being from um, the States, and I knew he was coming back. I, I'd sent him a message and asked him to go to Rebel Sports to uh, pick us up from footies, you know, because we didn't have any. We didn't have a variety. There was only a men's football and a women's football. And I thought, man, this is crazy. Why do I have to get an American on his honeymoon to go and buy us a footy? Um, so I looked into uh, forming a relationship with Sharon and um, they were fantastic and, and still are. And I built um, basically my own uh, website and business uh, called playaussie.com and started importing Sherons and uh, have continued on for the last two years. And I've actually got a shipment leaving Melbourne right this weekend um, to stock up a little bit. And uh, yeah, it's been pretty, pretty good. The players certainly uh, are supporting him. Um, you know, I have a range of about 50 different Sherons now that players can buy. Um, and um, yeah, so we're not just stuck with just the one or two models that the USAFL had. So, and I'll now sponsor the USAFL with that business. So I'm actually considered a sponsor and, um, you know, their chief main supplier of, uh, of, of Sharon. So it's been pretty good. That's fantastic. It's a you know, great thing to do. And when I was having a look at it, I was actually quite, I was surprised to see that the um, price of them is pretty much bang on par with the cross here, which actually surprised me because I thought that maybe there might be a bit of tax or something like that. You need to throw on top of them. So to know that people in America can get their footies at, you know, same price that we can over here. It's good to see. Um, so we're learning that clubs play in regions and regional tournaments and everything like that. So what region did the Kookaburras play in during the season before the Nationals? Um, we're basically in the Eastern region, which is, um, you know, the three regions that the USAFL have are massive. The Eastern region runs from all the way from Fort Lauderdale in Florida all the way up to um, Maine uh, in the far Northeast. So, uh, it's a little problematic. Um, most teams will, though, even though they're in a region, they'll play teams from other regions to suit whatever um, you know uh, games they want to play. You're not really uh, pigeonholed into regions until you get to regional championships. Then you are, you know, going to be pitched up against um, teams within your particular area. But teams in our region, uh, which are you know uh, the New Savannah team. Um, the two Florida teams, Jacksonville, uh, Fort Lauderdale, and then you move up the East Coast to North Carolina, uh, Washington, D.C., uh, Baltimore, New York, Boston, places like that. 
Um, but our closest team is actually in the central region, which is Nashville, which is a, a four and a half hour drive for us, other than the teams here in, the, in Georgia. Yeah, we're definitely learning that, uh, again, we have taken for granted and needing to travel 15 minutes in Melbourne to get to our games when we're here. And you know, we've spoke the clubs that train all year round and play four games because they've got to travel halfway around the world to get one. So, yeah, I definitely um, I feel for years for needing to travel so far to play a game of footy, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a bit of a problem. When you look at the size of the USAFL, it's actually compares in player numbers to maybe a major country Victorian Football League, you know, say a Hampton League or something like that, 10 or 12, 13 teams with about 100 players each, you know, first, seconds and reserves. That probably makes up the 1,200-odd players that um, the USAFL has, but we're spread across the country. Um, you know, some teams are 5,000 kilometres apart, you know, so... Uh, it causes some uh, causes some issues to get some games scheduled, and that's why you see some games. Some teams will only play a handful of games a year because that's all they're capable of playing. So, yeah, it's uh, something we uh, we don't envy having to to put all of those travel hours in, but it's something we also admire that there's uh, you know people over there taking up this little Aussie game and and putting in so much passion to be you know spend their own money to travel all these distances just to play this kick around and, and you know what would be considered a pretty odd shaped ball to most US uh, people um, but so how successful have the kookaburras been at the in throughout the USAFL competition um, we've had some mild success um, early in the 2000s we uh, were playing in Divi 1 of the Nationals um, I think uh, 2001, we were runners-up in Divi 2. Um, we played consistently in Divi 1 through to about 2005. In 2000, I think in 2010 or 11, we were runners-up again in Divi 2 or Divi 3. Um, but um, not being able to maintain those numbers, like I said before, consistently. And some of these bigger clubs just growing um, to a massive size has really prevented us from being competitive at that um, up, up, upper level at national championships because, um, you know, there's, there are teams here who have to push Australians away because they have too many. Because when, when you get to nationals and championship play, you're only permitted to have 50% non-Americans on the field now. So, um, and that includes Irish and anyone else from everywhere else. So, um, we never had that issue in Atlanta, especially. So um, after you know the uh, mid two thousands, we uh, were not able to keep up with the, the teams like the New Yorks and the Denvers and the, and especially Austin on the, on the map these days. So we have a, a very big contingency of quality Australians playing the game. Yeah, we're, we're hearing that from all teams that Austin are quite the powerhouse club. So. Um... Yeah, hopefully, hopefully the Kookaburras can uh, get their numbers back up once it's over and start competing with those top sides. But oh, I'm very curious to know you. You are you've spent a fair bit of time Atlanta, Georgia, and um, there's quite a big, you know, some big uh, NFL teams, and there's uh, you know Atlanta Hawks, as big uh, basketball teams. Is you know it's quite a big sort of 
sport place. Have you embraced many of the American games over there as well yourself? And uh, are you a you know Falcons supporter? I'm not actually a Falcon supporter. I actually support the Packers, so um, which is a little unusual for me. But I am a fairly big Braves, uh, Atlanta Braves fan. Baseball, and I'm missing baseball like crazy at the moment. Um, so uh, you know, I do follow them. Um, the Hawks, yeah, they haven't really been very successful over the last few years, so they haven't really been on my radar. Um, I'm not a super uh, basketball fan, but for some reason I've really cottoned on to baseball. I just find the the uh, you know the technicalities of baseball to be uh, enthralling. And uh, we have where I live now in Rome, Georgia. We have actually a um, a, a Braves affiliate team here, which is a single A club, which is here in the in the town where I where I live, and uh, I get along to those games. Uh, as much as I can when we are playing, of course. But uh, and they have a little mini stadium, and occasionally a Rome, uh, an Atlanta player will filter through who's coming back through injury and things like that. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, Baseball is probably one of the American sports that I haven't quite embraced myself. I, I don't mind it, but uh, I used to play American football, and um, there's a couple of American guys, and I, I said to them one day, "How the hell do you sit at the baseball and watch?" this game for so bloody long, eating after innings. And he says, it's easy. They sell beer in cups this bloody big. So <laughs> I guess that's why the Aussies are uh, embracing baseball, I reckon. Yeah, it's a good beer-watching sport, that's for sure. You can certainly uh, stuff yourself with a few. And uh, even here at the local games, you know, we have uh, $2 Thursdays where you get in for $2, you get a $2 hot dog, and you get beer for $2 a cup, mate. So it's a bit of a, you know... Uh, lay down the air that you pop along to one of those games, I can tell you. Jeez, <laughs> I wouldn't be going to work on a Friday, that's for sure. <laughs> nah, yeah. Hey, I'm self-employed, so it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so back to some serious stuff. Uh, you are the president of the Kookaburras. How did you become the president and how long have you served uh, as that position? Yeah, I sort of, when I first moved over here in 2002, a couple of us started to look at really Atlanta didn't have any um, official rules. And uh, um, although they were affiliated with the USAFL, they weren't incorporated. So me and a couple other guys got involved in that and uh, uh, got incorporated with the um, state of Georgia and um, got our non-profit um, uh, license with the IRS done. So that sort of led into 2004. I became sort of secretary in 2003 and then took over as president in 2004. I haven't always been president. I've had a couple of other guys been willing to step up over the years. So um, I think I was president until about 2007 and eight. I had two or three years off. I sort of came back in at around 14, I think, for a couple of years. And then I had another couple of years off and then have come back in the last probably three years. So I think 17, 18 and 19, I was president again. But, um, you know, it's good to take a break occasionally and get other guys to have uh, different ideas. But, um, you know, I've always been on the board or coaching. You know, I've been head coach many times as well. Um, so uh, you got to uh, you got to step aside occasionally and take a breather and um you know that's what i've been happy to do so you know i've also had roles with the usafl as well as coaching the women's team there so you know it's been good to be able to um do a couple of different things during the years as well 
What have you done for the USAFL? Um, I was the inaugural coach of the uh, USA Freedom Team from 2000, I guess, 2007 to 2010. Um, Went on uh, two tours to Canada and obviously the one down to um, Australia in 2009. Um, I've been on a couple of advisory boards and things like that. But um, uh, apart from that, I haven't really done any official uh, uh, committee roles with the USAFL. But... um, they did award me life membership in 2010, I think, and that was mainly for my participation in uh, getting women, women's footy going with uh, uh, another uh, long-time women's advocate here, Catherine Hogg. Yeah, it's definitely a decent achievement for what you've done and what we've heard that you've done in your uh, time in America, and especially being the first coach of the women's team. Um, so back to the Kookaburras, like what positions do you guys have on the committee? Um, probably like most clubs, you know, secretary, uh, president, secretary, vice president, treasurer, and then basically it's up to the clubs then to sort of decide on what they might have. They might have a media liaison, um, recruitment officer, um, uh, someone in um, communications and special events. Most clubs find it pretty flexible. Over the years, sometimes we've had very big board committees in Atlanta and sometimes they've just been very small uh, it varies on how many people you have in enough enthusiasm for you know you've obviously got to have the main four but um, at the moment the Atlanta club has nine on the board Um, so basically the four main positions plus uh, five others um, a women's representative who takes care of some of the women's business that uh, might pop up and uh, a couple that might specialise in uh, in sponsorship and things like that. So um, sometimes more help is helpful. Sometimes more help is um, slows you down a bit. So it all depends on the group of people that you have. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, key to a successful club is always a good committee, isn't it, Doug? Yeah, that's why we got you, know, you and me on the board, mate. That's it. <laughs> you know, I've said it a couple of times. We we do make jokes that we do it all, but now we would be stuffed without. The people below us doing doing the uh, hard yards, especially when we get back to playing footy this year, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so one thing that we're finding is, you know, pretty universal around the world is that, you know, difficulty maintaining sponsorships and things like that. How hard have you found it in your time with the Kookaburras to get and maintain sponsors for the club? Yeah, it's um, it's an up and down thing. You're right there. Um, I mean, keeping them happy and bringing them back year after year is a challenge. Uh, having that 501c3, which makes us a charitable um, entity, does really help here in the US. So donations from clubs, uh, for clubs from business entities is a tax deduction for them. So that's helpful. Back in the uh, 2000s, when we had the nationals here, um, Visi or Pratt Industries, which has a uh, a business here has a factory here in Atlanta where I'm a major sponsor. Um, so that was really good. Um, but uh, in the Atlanta scene at the moment, we've gone back to maybe smaller sponsors, pulling in uh, sponsors with um, smaller amounts just to try and get them in the, their foot in the door and hold on to them for a longer time. And you basically, yeah, just like any sponsorship sort of thing, you've got to take a little bit and, and give a lot to um, really maintain those relationships. So, it is a difficult part of, the, of running a club because a lot of um, clubs and a lot of players that you're trying to recruit 
um, are students don't have you no know, regular jobs or just have part-time work and when we're asking them to travel all over the country to play footy you know not many of them are going to be able to hang around for a long time unless we can subsidize some of those uh, some of those expenses yeah definitely it was a nice of a visit you know my mate Chris Judd in his advisory role with Fizzy probably helped you boys out that's nice of him I don't know if Chris was on board at that time, but um, yeah, Richard Pratt was certainly uh, available, and we had Kevin Sheedy uh, come in for that 2004 Nationals, and uh, and uh, Mr. Pratt was uh, his obviously uh, prime guest, and we had a great 400-person um, dinner on Saturday night of the Nationals, and uh, Kevin was the uh, the key speaker of that event, and. Uh, um, but it was certainly helpful for the event and helpful for football overall. The the main, big major sponsor here in the US has been Cooper's, uh, Cooper's Brewery since probably 2002. And they've really been fantastic in the way they've supported uh, Aussie rules here in the US for, uh, you know, over over 15 years now. That's pretty awesome, you think. But uh, Cooper's must have just heard how, much, how big Aussies are drinking and the, they thought, well, we've got to get involved in this sport. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, you know, having Kevin Shetty over there for a function and stuff. What, what's the sort of social side of the the club like and what, what sort of functions do you guys hold? Yeah, I think most clubs, um, you know, run functions around their season. So when you have teams come in at uh, from interstate to play you, you always would have a function after the game and it would be at the, the bar sponsor of the club. Um, some clubs would have uh, would put on a meal and you'd pay a certain amount of money for that meal or whatever and that money would go to the club. Um, these days, a little challenging, obviously, with this uh, social distancing going on. Um, you know, clubs are certainly doing the Zoom-type um, meetings and things like that. But uh, AFL Grand Final night is a massive night here in the US where teams really um, uh, put on a the biggest show that they possibly can to draw in all the expats that they can find to watch the AFL grand final. It can be on very early in the morning here, obviously. And that's why we, we need it to stay as a two o'clock game. Um, but, uh, and that is the probably biggest fundraiser for nearly every team in the country because uh, um, everyone wants to watch that game live. And um, Atlanta certainly no, uh, no exception there. That, that would be the biggest event of the year for them. Yeah, I mentioned on a, pre, uh, a podcast not too long ago that one of the questions we were asking the clubs when we first started it was, what do they do for their grand final day? Because I've always been proud of my grand final day I have here. It's my, you know, my favourite day of the year. And I learned after the third club that it's probably the biggest event every club around the world has. And they're making my grand final day just sound absolutely pathetic. So I've stopped asking that question just to stop feeling so bad about myself. But... um. <laughs> So yeah, some of them may, uh, some of them around the country are, are pretty amazing. I know the New York one and the LA one bring maybe five hundred people, and um, you know, so it's a massive party. Uh, you know, I'd be I'd be happy to get a hundred to the Atlanta one, but um, you know, and they certainly have been that big uh, in the past, and certainly great fundraising opportunities for clubs because you know that's what we're after. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully, if uh, Aussie Rule starts back up in a couple of weeks, like it's planned to, um, and there's no other sport going on in the US, you'll get more US citizens 
tuning into the Aussie game, so you might they might get a bit more interest in, it and you might have a few more at a, a grand final day party if it gets if we get that far into the season. Yeah, the the one game that was played was the last game in the world. I think that was going in live, and it did get a fairly big uh, following here, and got picked up by a couple of the the shock uh, the shock jocks a bit. We're talking about it, and um, yeah, so. Um, unfortunately, it's taken a pandemic to get the, the game noticed a little bit here yeah. in the US, which is a little disappointing. But uh, you can take what you can, you know. Um, you know, never look a gift horse in the mouth, as they say. <laughs> you, you've got to take it, whatever advertising you can get. But um, yeah, well, hopefully, if they can get up and running in a you know early next month, we might get the same sort of coverage. So uh, that'd be great because it's on a little bit late at night. But uh, hey, who cares? <laughs> yeah, if it's the only thing the world playing people are going to gravitate to it no matter what like i know people that have never cared about soccer but because they're the soccer in belarus has been playing this whole time they've actually got a team that they follow in belarus now because it's the only sport they get to watch but um so we mentioned as well that you also started the rome redbacks in georgia so what was the reasoning behind that and how and when did it start yeah so i've sort of moved around the georgia area um since i've lived here you know nearly 20 years um and uh, the opportunity came to move out to this little town about an hour and a half northwest of, of Atlanta called Rome. Um, you know, uh, Atlanta has two satellite cities. One's called Rome and one's called Athens, believe it or not. So um, Athens is where UGA is, the uh, University of Georgia. And out here in Rome, there's another uh, uh, couple of small colleges. But uh, the opportunity to move out here um, came up about two years ago, so I thought well, this would be a great opportunity to start a, another small team. I had wanted to start a small team outside of the Atlanta area for about 10 years, but could never get anyone to put their hand up to do it. Um, so I thought, well, I'm going to do it myself. So moved out here about two years ago, and Rome, starting with an R, I had to look around the Australian dictionary to find a, an animal or an insect. We started, started with R, so we just called it the Redbacks, and away we went. So um, started up the club and bought some uniforms and some goalposts and, uh, you know, and it was just a really good opportunity for, for the Atlanta club, which I'm still involved with, for them to be able to play a team that is only just over an hour away. And in last year, we played two games in 2018, but in 2019, we played four games against um, Atlanta. And they were like 10 or 12 aside games. They weren't massive games. We don't really have field size for a big 18 aside games. But, you know, to be, able, to be able to only drive an hour to play a game of Aussie rules here in the US is like gold. So you know, the Atlanta guys were thrilled with that and we were thrilled. And, you know, Rome is only a city of about 35,000 people. It's about 90,000 live in the county and the surrounding area. So it's not a big area and it's a rural you know, Georgia town. So uh, a lot of people don't even understand what sport is, never mind what Aussie rules is. So uh, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, it was you know, great that you brought in another club to um, you know, help out the road, your club out down the road. Um, so you mentioned about how yeah, you found the red back name. That jumper design, I absolutely love it. So like, what was the idea behind that design? Um, yeah, I sort of, you know, do the normal thing, just search the internet, looking for uh, design opportunities. And uh, this was actually designed by a guy off Fiverr, if you know what Fiverr is. Yep. Um, and um, yeah, sort of modified a little bit. So um, 
but uh, yeah, that's basically how it came up. I do web design myself, so but I'm not talented enough to do uh, fancy logos like these ones. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it was something that uh, sort of came from Fiverr. So you know, you've got to support the people around the world who want to uh, do stuff for you. So actually, not a bad thought. I don't think many people actually would have thought about doing stuff like that. Yeah, probably not. Not a. Just want to jot that down, Rift. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot, lot of clubs around the country that, um, you know, they have some people, some clubs have, you know, graphic designers within clubs. Some clubs have great accountants. Some guy teams have great logistics people. You don't always have one of everything. And, you know, we've always, you know, um, been short on different people who have been involved, like someone... Uh, accountant, someone with an accountant background, well, he, you're going to be the treasurer, you know. Well, that's not always the case every year when that guy moves away. Oh, how, well, who are we going to find? We're going to find another treasurer. Who do we know works in numbers or things like that? So, you know, you just got to make do. And graphic design and web design and social media now as it is, it's, you know, somewhat of an art form. So to have people in your club that can do that sort of stuff and do a pro bono um, is pretty handy. And so... You try and uh, certainly put your feelers out when someone comes to your club. That you certainly ask them, "What do you do?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, uh, I think it was uh, Wisconsin two Wisconsin, couple yeah. episodes ago. Yeah, yeah, he said he uh, he spent most of his time. He was supposed to be studying designing there. They're playing jumper and set, sent the the president about thirty different designs before they set it all in one. So um, wow, <laughs> they might he might be someone you could get to help you out with the next design. They also got someone uh, with their, their th- team songs. Yes. Write them up a team song. So if you... Yeah, I heard that the other day. It was pretty funny. Although I will admit, though, when I'm starting a club here in Rome and I'm the, the president, secretary and treasurer, I don't have anyone to argue against. So the first <laughs> design was it. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, a valid that's what point. I talk about when you have like nine or 10 people on the committee and you start throwing them stuff and they got to want to make a decision. That's where it gets a little dicey. That's why sometimes smaller committees can be quite much helpful. Oh, well, don't, don't worry. We've got what eight people in our committee and we run this as a dictatorship anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I've been accused of that too, guys. Don't <laughs> <laughs> um, what about uh, your team songs for, for both the Kookaburras and the Redbacks? Do they have team songs? I know it's not really that popular over there with the American sports. No, team songs aren't. There, Not many clubs do have them. Um, we have never had one in Atlanta. I know there's a song, you know, Kookaburra sits on an old gum tree. Um, it's sort of been bandied around a few times, but never really put it, put words into it. Um, but um, and we don't have one here at Rome yet. Uh, I think we've only won two games so far, so we'll get around to one pretty soon. But um, um, yeah, the Americans do love the team songs, so I'm surprised that uh, some more teams don't get involved in them because they find them quite uh, comical at times. And it's pretty hard to steer away from the AFL ones, unfortunately. And um, you know, I'm not a great fan of copying everything the AFL does here. Um, you know, some of it's uh, okay, but when you see teams pop up with the same logos and same jumper designs, I think, man, guys, you can be a little bit more creative. Surely we're, you know, we're in a country of 300 million people. Not everyone wants to look like someone else, you know. So, but um, yeah, team songs are something we're working on. If you got someone over there who wants to write, write the Rome Redbacks or the Atlanta Kookaburras as a team song, hey, 
send it to us. We'll. Uh, I was we'll I was just going to say it might be you might have to get in contact with a guy from Wisconsin. He sounds like <laughs> put together a great song. You might or maybe just jump on Fiverr and and someone during isolation. Well, surely, a, a, Atlanta is struggling Atlanta, songwriters. Atlanta is uh, the hotbed of uh, hip hop and a lot of rap guys come out of the Atlanta area. So. I'm really surprised one of the Atlanta guys hasn't come up with a rap song yeah, or get, something. Get um, the outcast on to it or something. <laughs> yeah, I know. It'd be good if we get into a home game, you know. <laughs> so, so you mentioned about how you don't like seeing you know, when teams pop up the same colours and the same, well, not the, same colors, the same jumper and the same logo. It's one thing that we have the same agreements on. We love when we come across clubs that have got either a different logo, different jumper design. And like with both the clubs you're involved with, that was one thing we noticed. Was it Redbacks and Kookaburras sort of, not an Australian club, but still have a connection back to Australia. And then the jumpers were completely different to anything else. So you know, we're in agreement with you that it's fantastic when clubs do have that originality to them instead of just following an AFL club. Yeah, you know, back in the old days, I think it was just a, an automatic thing to do. So the first, you know, seven or eight teams, you know, sort of affiliated themselves with AFL teams and were able to get some help. You know, they were getting some jumper supplies over the years and stuff like that. But over the last 10 years, I didn't, I haven't really seen an excuse, you know, for why you would want to um, keep affiliating yourself with uh, an AFL team when there's teams around the country are still trying to do it. You know, I would say there's um, teams for AFL um, affiliated teams all the way across Europe and in Asia and stuff. So why not be a little bit more original? And there's another team, the Savannah Hurricane, which I started, helped uh, start with another uh, friend out of Atlanta. You know, there's another unique name that has come from, you know, just from American terminology. And um, yeah, I, I don't see the reason why you need to repeat uh, AFL names anymore. And unfortunately, two have come up in the last couple of years again, which is just disappointing to me. Yeah, I... If, if, if you're not getting the direct support from an AFL team, and like um, we spoke to OC... Tomorrow night. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're speaking to OC and they'll, um, you know, they've become the Giants because the Giants helped them out and you know, did a great job getting them a kit and stuff like that. So you understand that. But yeah, if it's just sort of, oh, well, it's just easy. We'll just copy them. Uh, well, to be honest, there was already a, a Giants team. Indianapolis already had the Giants on their uniform and everything. And it's happened two more times besides that in recent years, which, you know, that is um, some of the things that are sort of not under control, unfortunately, here. And people just decide they can do whatever they like. But, um, you know, hey, kudos to them if they can get the support and that helps their club out. Um, who are we to argue as a, another club? So. As you say, like, when it first started, clubs were doing it. But it also makes sense back then because you were trying to have, you would have been trying to have any way possible to um, have that connection or even just people, Australians coming through, recognize, oh, that's a Essendon jumper. Oh, you go for Essendon. No, no, I play for uh, OC Bombers. I'm going to shoot, must have wore that back in the day. So it made sense yeah. back then. But as you said, nowadays, you know, become original and you don't really need to have that connection, especially with as many clubs in America as there is now that would have already have them names. Like, you know, try and find, be creative. Like, we love creative when teams are creative with their jumpers and their logos and their names. So, you know, it draws more attention actually from us to them clubs and ones that have got the same old stuff. Yeah, it's an interesting to, to look in it from an Australian perspective. Um, I know, you know, people in Australia might want to say, 
uh, I'm a Magpie supporter, so hey, I'm going to support New York, and um, that's fine for New York. And if they want to, you know, leverage some of that, fantastic. And there's only been, well, there was another Magpies team here. Dallas were once called the Magpies as well, which caused some confusion because they actually played off in a grand final together, I think. Um, but um, yeah, you know, you, if you can think outside the box a little bit, I don't think it's that difficult, really. Um, I'm I'm in agreement with these guys as well. So, but it can also backfire. You. For example, you said the New York Magpies. The first time I seen their jumper, I'm like, that's an absolutely sick jumper. But being an Essendon fan, I'm like, no, I can't support you. So it can, you know, it, it goes both ways. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And you could support five other teams here in the US and not be one of your, you know, bombers or whatever yeah. teams. And uh, uh, yeah, so you know. It is what it is, but um, but it, unfortunately, it's still continuing by the looks of it. So, not much I can do about it. All right. So, what's sort of the plans for the the future of the the Redbacks? What do, what do you have planned for them? Um, well, being a very small town, I, I don't think we have high aspirations of climbing up the uh, AFL USAFL ladder as such. You know, everyone wants to say, "Oh, let's go and win a trophy at this particular championship," but. I think that's a bit of a, a long bow for us for a period of time. Um, basically, it's just um, creating more awareness of the game here in regional Georgia. Obviously, giving teams like uh, Atlanta and Savannah and Jacksonville and Florida are another team that they don't have to drive eight hours to play. Um, and, um, yeah, and hey, we might get to a stage where we can play as a standalone team in maybe DB3 or DB4 at national championships if, if they continue in that sort of vein. But um, there's, you know, I don't believe that uh, every club has to have aspirations here to be a DB1 team. Um, we're never going to be able to compete against the likes of Austin and LA and New York who have this massive influx of Aussies. I actually bumped into a, um, an Australian here in Rome um, about three months ago. And then another guy came down to training who just moved here from California. Um, he's from the Western Districts, actually, from Mount Gambia, um, just moved here. And um, nice guy, and he's going to have a have a kick with us when we get going. But um, hey, we're never going to compete against some of the bigger teams. So you've got to put that in, into perspective and say, oh, as long as we are functioning and we're having a good time, we're teaching... Um, the guys here locally about the game and a lot of it is coach, cultural exchange, you know, talking a lot about Australia and the other sports we play, a little bit of cricket thrown in a bit here and there and having a good time. And, um, you know, that's the basis of the club, really. Um, and, um, you know, not trying to win uh, massive trophies like some of the clubs around the country, all they seem to concentrate on. Yeah, sometimes, um, like we understand, we're not the biggest club in Victoria and you know, it's sometimes better to actually understand where you are and not constantly try and, you know, be better or think that you're going to achieve a lot more than what you do. But um, so one thing that you also do, you also have a podcast called Outside 50 uh, that you host with uh, a bloke called, is it Rick Shabani? Yeah, Rick Shabani down over in LA. And, uh, Rick spent a whole year down in uh, Melbourne last year playing for Caroline Springs, I believe. And, um, yeah, a couple of other people are involved in that. Our good friend um, Tara from Denver. Tara from Denver and Ben Martinez from Austin. So um, 
I started the website about 10 years ago with another guy um, called usfootynews.com. And it was just an alternative uh, website for news about footy across the US because we weren't happy with the way that uh, the USAFL were doing their news or weren't doing any. Um, but uh, of recent times, we started the podcast with that called Outside 50. And uh, initially, it was me and Rick uh, running that. And um, these other guys wanted to join in. I thought this would be a great time for me to get out. And uh, so I still produce that podcast for them. And uh, they do all the, the interviews and uh, things like that, which is just great. And it's just people are uh, all the way around the country. Um, we've had a couple of uh, international guests like uh, uh, Danny Marshall down there playing with Footscray AFLW and uh, a couple of others. So it's good fun and a uh, good opportunity to um, uh, spread the word of Aussie rules around the US and in Australia. So, uh, and there's a couple of other podcasts have popped up at the same time. So uh, even the USAFL have jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, you also uh, have interviewed our, our friends down in Columbia, the, the Bulldogs, I just saying. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Patty, uh, Patty Smallwood down in Columbia. That was a, a great interview. And going by the stats, it's still getting plenty of listens as well. So, yeah, he's a top guy. Uh, and uh, to get a couple of teams from the US down there last year was a fantastic effort too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually never heard about it. So we spoke to Tara from Denver and um, she sort of mentioned about it. So I went out and listened to it. And i actually pretty sure I've got through the entire library that you had working away at work. It was just obviously starting to do what we've been doing. It was um, sort of helped me sort of understand quite well. We spoke to Wisconsin the other day and I learned a lot from your uh, programs, chat with them about them being a college town. So I knew sort of how to you know, work my questions. So you know, it's a great show that you guys do. So, and you know, as you said, a few podcasts have popped up doing American uh, USAFL stuff. So hopefully that can grow your game further as well. Yeah, it's been good. It's really interesting when you get around to different clubs and, you know, I'm talking to people that I don't, obviously don't know as well. And certainly this country is so big, you can't know everyone. And to learn how people uh, establish clubs or how they're developing their clubs and the cities around the country, like you say, in Wisconsin, um, are very different uh, on their demographics. Um, you know, from where I am here with two little small colleges to Atlanta, a city of uh, five or six million people, New York, um, you know, 20 million people, um, how they structure and how they work and how they train and how they practice is really interesting. And um, it's fascinating to listen to the way, uh, uh, how people got into the sport and how they're, how they're um, keeping it going in their particular region or their club. So um, and kudos to you guys too, because not only you guys are doing stuff over there, but you've, you're branching out across the world. So uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. I 100% agree with you. Like we sort of started, we've done a couple of episodes just as a bit of a special thing for what we're doing. And then we actually were like, this is actually really cool to find out about all this stuff. And so we're like, oh, we do a couple from, you know, another couple of countries. And then we spoke to like two or three different American clubs and we found out that just even in the same country, things are so different in every single part, whether it be you, know, you guys in Atlanta or up to um, Orange County. And then same, same like England, like the North London and Manchester, and in the same country, everything was different there as well. So it's, yeah, I definitely understand and agree that it's nice. It's, you know, it's cool to find out how clubs were made and such a difference to how we see things in Australia as well. So um, the other thing, you guys run a AFL, AFLS social Aussie rules that I read about. Um, what's uh -huh. that? Yeah. Um 
we started a few teams around the country have been trying social football or co-ed football, which is a, a non-tackle, non-contact version of the game. Um, when when the AFL brought out AFLX a couple of years ago, and we were all laughing about that, um, we were sort of at the same time developing our social football um, game in Atlanta. So, and I just thought, well, let's call it AFLS. You know, S stands for social. So um, what we started in Atlanta was a, uh, a seven-a-side, eight-a-side social co-ed game, um, totally non-contact, non-tackle, um, played on a field about 80 yards long, 60 yards across. And we had two, two fields set up on, on, at the same location, so four teams playing at the same time. Um, games would start and finish at exactly the same time, just on the one whistle or one siren. And just a way to introduce the game to people uh, in Atlanta. Atlanta's very big on social sports. You know, a lot of people play this sort of kickball or social volleyball and things like that. So we were trying to tap into that market and, um, and see if we could bring people across into our game without them thinking, oh, you know, that's going to be like rugby, isn't it? It's going to be hard and tough and a lot of tackling. And he's got, I've seen the, I've seen the videos from, from the AFL in the seventies and they're brutal and all those, all that fighting. And that's what they see when they, when they Google AFL these days, they still see that those, uh, you know, they still see the fights that Plugger and, and Gary Ablett and Dermot Brereton were on. So trying to get through to them that you know, where they can play a nice social game and there's no tackle and it's just a fun, fluid game and it's high scoring it really went well and we had nearly uh, 80 to 100 people play um, a couple of years ago um, a couple of mini seasons so it went really well i've actually never really like it obviously in australia but hearing all these clubs around the world be like having explain to people it's not like rugby it's actually surprised me quite a bit that that's sort of the um oh it's like rugby i would have thought you know i didn't actually realize rugby was so big around the world yeah, as you, if you look at the Rome Redbacks website, um, uh, RomeRedbacks.com, right at the top it says, it's not rugby. And I've actually got signs made. So for when we're practicing, people drive past and think it's like, oh, that's going to be rugby over there. And I have a sign, it's not rugby. So, and that's the first thing people say. And um, the Atlanta, Atlanta Club, I think, has a video there that you can watch, which is our AFLS video that we use for promoting. And... It's just a very easy, um, you know, game that we bring people into the game. We don't necessarily use it as a way to recruit people to play the game. We just use it to broaden our our uh, our base of our club, our supporter base. Um, if they want to come on and, and play Aussie Rules uh, full on, um, they can, um, and some have. But if they don't, that's fine. Um, just introduce them to the game and uh, get more people involved. So we're, we're hoping to do that here in Rome as well uh, when things get back running. But, uh, yeah, normally the first thing people say is, yeah, that's, that'll be rugby, isn't it? I said, yeah, nah. That's, uh, it's a lot not more skill involved. Yeah, just a little bit. But um, So that's <laughs> yeah. why you see that on the Rome Redbacks website. Um, yeah, the first thing you see. So, I think when... Other sports, uh, you know, Olympic, at the Olympics, Commonwealth Games and, and World Cups and things like that, that you have, you know, national teams competing against. And and so, you know, when soccer gets called football in parts of the world and rugby gets right. football in other parts of the world and then you're saying, now we play another different type of football, it, it gets, 
does get confusing yep. and yeah, we don't wear pads, but we hit just as hard and we fly in the air to take marks and things. But um, one thing I've said to a couple of American clubs is that if you were to, to able to stalk a few colleges and, um, you know, get a couple of players, wide receivers, star wide receivers that aren't going to quite make it to the NFL and, and not really go the professional route and just, Kidnap him, get him down to your club, and and just teach him to be a full forward or centre forward. I think you'd have some, you'd you have guys that would make it to the AFL in no time. I reckon with some of the athletic attributes that those guys have. Yeah, there's certainly well, they've stopped having the the US Combine for Aussie rules the last couple of years, and you know when you see guys like Mason Cox and that uh, doing so well, and even Danny Marshall. Um, and realise that there's, you know, maybe another 50 million athletes like that here in the US um, with the same sort of uh, ability and skill set. You can see it, you know, being an opportunity. Uh, you know, getting getting players from the college um, area to Aussie rules has always been a challenge for every club. Um, they just um, don't transfer over, unfortunately, because there is no real other adult sport here. And once they leave college and once they don't get involved uh, at another at a pro sport, they're virtually lost to sport. And, um, you know, we get them maybe three or four years later when they're about 27, 28, and they've been sitting on the couch for a couple of years. And they finally come across and see Aussie Rules or some other sport on TV and realise that they could actually play that game. So... Getting them younger would be great, but it's going to be still going to be a challenge for a while. I've expressed my feelings to Rifty, and I think on another show about how it makes absolutely no sense that the AFL like to constantly push. You know, we're trying to grow the game overseas, especially in America, but then they remove that combine when you've got blokes like Mason Cox. That they again, they like to be like, you know, this is what we're doing. This blokes from America, we're going to get them all across here. But then the one way you find the blokes from America, they scrap. It's just. It baffles me that, yeah, that's all I'm going to say on that because otherwise I could get myself into some serious trouble with this guy. Well, there could be, some politics in, could be some politics involved in that. And, um, you know, I follow her through threads on uh, a few channels like Reddit and stuff like that where, you know, the, the importing of players from overseas is not always the, the happiest thing that people see. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah I've always been here and there. Is okay, but uh, when maybe when it gets to ten or twelve, you know, and we have I don't know how many Irish players are playing at the moment. They seem to be fairly well received still. So I think there's still a window open for American players to to, to do the same. Yeah, I've always agreed that um you know, we should be looking after the blokes that have played the game their whole life over a flash in the pan. But just because the blokes from America doesn't mean he hasn't played for his whole life. Like we're learning that there's been Oz kicking that in. Um, America. So blokes might have been playing it since they were 10 years old, but because they live over in America and they've scrapped that combine, they're missing out on what could be their dream. So I do see both sides of the argument, but it's just being sort of smart about it and not exploiting certain aspects. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's the same here where, you know, um, people battle for scholarships here for uh, to go to college and that is super competitive. Um, and, um, you know, trying to build up kids um, to uh, win that scholarship so they can go to a particular college and the competitiveness and that and going to particular events to uh, compete at the highest level as part of that. 
uh, yeah, it's a, it's a competitive world out there. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter whether you're in sport or you're in business. You, you've just got to, um, you know, try and put your best foot forward. And, um, you know, AFL is a business. So, um, no doubt about it. Yeah. And I think when, um, you got guys that are, you know, like you said, exceptional athletes over there and they have the potential to make millions in the NFL and they hear that a bloke over in the Aussie rules, it's getting hit just as hard and, and working probably, you know, just as hard, if not harder and earning a fraction of that kind of money. Um, they probably think, oh, nah, stuff giving that game a go. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm sure you, you've got to have a passion for it before you want to go. But, uh, and, but you know, there's got to be, uh, thousands of people who don't make um, don't make NFL or don't make uh, basketball squads over the you know, every given year. So they're all potential players, I would imagine, especially the basketballers. So the, you know, the hand and eye and their athleticism is uh, phenomenal, and um, you know, uh, even at uh, even at high college level. So yeah. All right. So what's been the the biggest highlight for you? in your time being involved with the USAFL? Um, that's a very good question. Um, one I didn't actually expect. Probably uh, taking the women's team down to Australia in 2009 um, was certainly a, a great... We didn't actually win a game. We came fell short by a couple of points. But um, that was, you know, a sort of hallmark event for for uh, women's sport here in the US and footy here in the US. Um, um, hosting the 2004, uh, going back a long way, hosting the 2004 Nationals. Uh, back in those days, the clubs actually ran the national championships here. We had 700 players, three fields. That was uh, certainly a big event. Um, um, but, um, you know, just just recently playing a home game here in Rome was, you know, I thought was awesome. And, you know, just standing around at the after party, um, you know, with 20-odd 20, 20 guys and, you know, 15 so guys from Atlanta that I'd already known for a long time. That was uh, that was pretty cool, pretty cool too. But, um, yeah, um, Atlanta and uh, that, we haven't had many uh, big wins at tournaments over the years, so there's not a lot of things like that and I'm not very big on personal awards so um, yeah but I you know that that's for the US side of things that's probably the big, the biggest uh, the US uh, women's tour to Australia was probably the, the best thing I really have got out of the sport over the years so what about back in back in uh, Australia what was the the highlight of your playing career Oh, we've got to go back into back into Actually, the. Uh, uh, I've just realised yeah. we completely missed all them questions. Sorry, mate. We better get to find out a bit about his career. Uh, yeah, no, I played uh, played in suburban Melbourne for quite a few years, and then a little bit in the amateurs where I took up coaching. But I went down to South Gippsland. I lived in Seaford, um, so I started to travel down into South Gippsland to play in the footy, and um, I was uh, captain coach of Currumbara Football Club in their centenary year in 1992 and we won the flag in their centenary year. So um, that was a massive year for the club, their hundredth year and to be captain coach that year. Um, yeah, that was, you know, that, that was the pinnacle. I couldn't do anything better than that, than, uh, you know, be given the, given the opportunity to coach a club like 
Karambara uh, with a 100-year history and then to win a flag. A couple of guys come back to the club that had moved away um, and um, made the club a little stronger than they'd been in previous years. And, uh, yeah, I I'd spent three years at, there at Karambara and another one down there at Minion. Um, Travelled around a little bit. Uh, played at Nanagoon too as well. But uh, it's definitely the Karambara Premiership in 92 is the... Is the pinnacle of my footy career. No, that's that's awesome, and that's uh, not too far from us where we are. Yep, not too, not too far from the Seaford in Carnborough. Um, but all right. I don't know what position did he play. Oh, yeah, well, that's what I want to know. Yeah, yeah what posy were you back in your day? Um, well, I played uh, seven years when I was younger at fullback, and and I chastised my coaches um, that uh, left me there because I'm six foot three. And as um, soon as I was given the opportunity to move out, I moved on to the ball and I uh, came an on-baller, a very tall on-baller. So I was a, a six-foot-three running ruck rover for uh, the best part of my career from um, the last probably 10 years. So, well, and, he was you know, setting trends. I was going to say, some yeah. may say he was ahead of his time. Yeah. Um, I was certainly uh, a, I was a marathon runner through... That period of time, so uh, you know, I'd gone down to play country football. I would have you know, three opponents by the time I had half time was up, and um, it's the, the grounds in uh, down in South Gippsland were pretty wet and uh, heavy, so you needed to have some legs. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed running a lot in those days and playing ruck rover, and uh, was the best thing um, that I enjoyed. And um, yeah, even even when I came here, I didn't play my first game here in America until I was like 40 years of age. So uh, um, still played as a ruck rover when I came over here too for a few years. Not these days though. <laughs> All right, and so who do you go for in the AFL? Well, yeah, I'm a blue supporter, so ah, uh, I'm, good man. I'm done. Please, you finally got a blue supporter on. Finally. Yeah, I'm, uh, I have a I have a stubby hole here somewhere, but. Um, yeah, I've been a blue supporter since I was a wee kid, and um, you know, back in the Halcyon days, you know, Jezza was my uh, my hero, and um, yeah, went to a few of the flags, and uh, you know, the '95 flag against uh, Geelong was the the ultimate game, I thought, and that was the last one we won. But um, yeah, so, what a game it was! Uh, it was, and uh, I always believe that uh, Peter Dean was robbed of the uh, Norm Smith that that year because they gave it too well. To, to Williams, but um, yeah, that was the perfect grand final for me. But, all right, uh, and all I've, right. got a, I've got to go a follow-up. <laughs> Who's the favourite player of all time? Who's the favourite player? Um, well, being a Carlton supporter, like I said, I grew up with Jezza, but um, from an AFL player, um, I would have to say Gary Ablett was my number one player. Uh, just uh, some of the things he did in his heyday in the in the late, uh, I guess the late, late 80s, um, he was uh, always the guy I aspired to be like. Uh, not only a great full forward, but a running player and, um, you know, tough and strong and, um, yeah, just break packs and do mercurial things. But, um, yeah, so it was either Jezza and uh, Jezza and uh, Gaza. So, um, been all, my old time. I'm glad you said Gary Ablett because for half a second, I was thinking it was going to be like an episode the other day where, Blokes' favourite player was Greg Williams, and I sat here for 15 minutes while Rifty just started just talking back out. <laughs> and there's one point I'm like, do you want to get back to the uh, episode, mate? Oh, no, give us, give us a couple of minutes. <laughs> so I was, yeah. I was, I was half expecting to have enough time to 
go get another beer and have a snooze and come back and you'd still be chatting about Carlton. Oh, I could have been. I know, that's why I wanted to put it. Mate, I could talk all day about Greg Williams. Who's a, and, and, mate, you know me, I'm a lover right. of the game. I love, I love right. football. I love all... I'll, I'll watch four or five games a weekend. So, I, you know, as much as I am a Carlton supporter, I just love the game of footy. And Gary Ablett, like you said, he was something else. He was just, uh, yeah... What's yeah, it? when you when you kick 13, 14 goals in a losing game, mate. Um, yeah, it's like wow, <laughs> come on. <laughs> was it in France? A player from State to Luson was saying that Gary Ablett was his favourite player as well. Yep. So it's yeah, very universal. But yeah, when you were talking about Greg Williams the other day, I was in agreement that he was an absolute superstar. So yeah, I right. I can see talent where it, when it's there. Nice. So yeah. He's not as one-eyed as in sport, is he? Some of those guys uh, changed the game. You know, there were game changers back in those days who, you know, and coaches for that matter, who who, who made changes to the way the game was played. And uh, I always look up to those. Being a, Becoming a coach myself, you know, in Australia and here, you know, you're always looking for something that's innovative and something that's new and something that's going to change the way that players perform and how, you know, to get your team across the line. Um, whether it's you know something extra to do fitness-wise, where it's tactical or a new skill to learn, that's uh, and certainly here in the US, learning skills is one of the major challenges. But um, you know, teaching guys little tricks that you learn, tricks of the trade over the year, uh, is always a passion. You know, and you can learn some things from those guys in the past too if you watch them. And um, yeah, so I've brought a uh, whole gamut of years of watching uh, AFL. Uh, footy as well as suburban footy uh, over here to the US. So hopefully passing on just a little bit to the guys here. No, that's awesome. And uh, I'm sure you've been quite an asset to the to the clubs you've been involved in. But now it's time to throw some players under the bus. It's our, one of our favourite parts we like to get to is, um, and being that you're involved in a couple of different clubs, you can either throw a player from each club under the bus or if one bloke really sticks out, just go for the one. But um, yeah, we've got a couple of different questions and uh, yeah, start throwing those guys under the bus. All right. So which player at the Kookaburras or the Redbacks would you say is the ladies man or likes to think that they're the ladies man? Well, there's been, been involved in Atlanta for 20 years. There's been quite a few ladies mans, but um, back in the early days, um, there was one in particular. Um, his name was uh, Justin Biggs. And I don't know if Biggs, he listens to these podcasts still. He's uh, still living here in the US. He's in Chicago. And uh, is the ultimate ladies' man. Uh, he would... Um, I heard rumours that uh, he'd go out to nightclubs and uh, he would uh, try and chat up at least 100 women in one <laughs> night. Um, knowing he was playing the percentage game there. Um He's not a big, tall guy, Big Z, but he could talk a fair bit. And uh, he was certainly well-known around the club as, uh, yeah, doing okay by the ladies. Um, he's married now with a child, so he might <laughs> appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, certainly uh, certainly played the, played the numbers game, did Big Z. He was a pretty fun guy. Worked for the Australian government, too, at the same time. Uh, well, you do miss every shot that you don't take. So Yeah, that's right. Um, the class clown or the joker? The class clan could be the same guy. Um, the class clan or the joker. Um, here in Rome, we have a guy um, uh, called uh, Jesse Dobbs who uh, can impersonate just about every American 
accent out there and he's a southerner as well um he does uh i've been meaning to get him on one of our podcasts actually because he uh does a great jesse ventura um and um so he and he's a gamer as well so he has all these uh connotations and um where i thought of him he'd be a great uh a great guest for the could have been champions now because he, he'd be able to uh, talk about anyone here in the States. So, uh, yeah, Jesse Dobbs here in, in Rome is uh, is certainly the uh, the comical guy and you, you never know whether he's actually serious at any time. Even when you walk up to him in a supermarket, you just don't know whether he's going to he's going to be pulling your leg or not. So it's pretty funny, funny from an American, because uh, a lot of Americans don't have a great sense of humour, but he, he's got his fair share. So... Uh, that sounds like a classic. We'll uh, we'll be listening out for that episode if you're you're able to get it up. Um, but sure. who's the who's the biggest party animal? The biggest party animal. Um, there's a couple um, in the Atlanta area that uh, you know come down to training. While well, we've been before we were shut down early in the year, I would hear stories that we would practice at eleven o'clock or play a game of AFLS. And then I'd be reaching out to them at about uh, know, seven or eight o'clock and they'd say, uh, we're still at the pub, mate. It's like, hold on a second, we, we finished at 11 o'clock this morning. What are you still doing? And uh, um, yeah, so there's a couple of guys. Uh, uh, Chris Alexander is one guy who's been around the club since uh, for nearly 20 years. Big, uh, big fella, big American guy who loves, uh, who loves his spirits and um, loves hanging out and... Uh, he uh, he would for sure be one of the biggest guys at uh, uh, having a drink, and there's a couple of other guys that go back way 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 back. But uh, Chris is still with the club and still hangs out and doesn't mind uh, putting uh, time one on and and uh, supporting the sponsors, as they say. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's good sounds to hear. like my type of bloke. Yeah, um, but who's the guy? that you've come across and, you know, you've been the coach, you've been in well for a long time. Who's the guy that's just taken the game far too seriously for an amateur sport? Uh, too seriously for an amateur sport. Sometimes that's an Australian. <laughs> it um, seems to always be an Australian. <laughs> they think they're actually playing VFL level football or something. Um, but uh, um, taking the game too seriously. Um Normally, the guys that start fights, uh, some of those sort of guys, and um, um, there's a guy who probably um, um, comes to mind, Nathan Jones, uh, who's now in Colorado, Aussie guy, played a bit of rugby in his time, first came over in the mid-2000s, I think, and uh, he would get into a fight nearly every game. Um, um, and he has a little friend, he had a little friend in Bourne, Bjorn Ferrugia, another Australian from uh, Reservoir there in Melbourne, who would also, uh, he would be uh, backing up Nathan in the fights and uh, they would just thought that they could just, you know, fight everyone and they would uh, um, you know, have, have a great time fighting Americans. But they could play a bit, but uh, I think they were there for the fights more than anything and uh, they were very serious. Um, um, would argue with umpires, even though all the umpires were volunteers. Um, and uh, you know, get us get our clubs into trouble all the time. So I'm going to throw two in there: uh, Nathan Jones and uh, and and Biorno. Um, he was known as the uh, the little wonder wonder wog because um, he had a little bit of an ethnic background to him back in those days. 
um, but he's uh, selling million dollar houses in uh, California right now, so he's doing okay. So, <laughs> no, that's nice. Um, well, where can everyone go to follow along and uh, catch your podcasts and yeah, both your clubs and your website, everything? Let's give everything a plug and we'll make sure. Well, the list is long and varied. Obviously, Atlanta is atlantafooty.com. That site's been around for a long time and on social media, Atlanta Cookaburras. Uh, Rome Redbacks is romeredbacks.com. Uh, we're on Twitter as well there. Uh, usfootyuse.com. Um, that's where you'll find our podcast, but our podcast name is called Outside 50 uh, on all the podcast channels. You can normally find podcasts just like this great one. And um, the business, if you know someone here in the US who is looking to buy a footy, uh, it's playaussie.com and on playaussie.com you can also find all the teams here across the US as well I list all the teams and what state they're in and a link to most of those websites as well so um, look up uh, playaussie.com they're also on social media so yeah but um, you never know there'll be another project uh, pop up uh, sooner or later but uh, they're the main ones yeah no awesome we'll make sure we share all those so if you if you didn't catch them all in the audio, just yeah, hit the our page and uh, we'll share all those links to everything. And um, once you've subscribed to Outside 50, hit the subscribe to the Cobracast and you'll be set for all your footy footy podcasts for a while, I reckon. Yeah, you don't need any others. Just us two, I reckon. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Won't argue with it. <laughs> um, thanks a lot for joining us, mate. We do appreciate your time in the early morning. Um, been great chatting to you and uh like i said uh you've done a fair bit for the u.s uh afl and um i'm sure you've got plenty more to, to to contribute as well and uh we hope you you're able to play some more games the tail end of this year once all this shit blows over and um yeah hopefully you at least get some afls games in yeah we're hopeful uh we're going to get back hopefully uh, at some stage but uh things are going to be different for everyone and you know, we've got to be safe to start with. Um, you know, footy is just footy, as we say. But, um, yeah, we love to get out there and have a kick. I'll have to buy a new pair of cleats, but we'll uh, see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, thanks to you, what you guys are doing, and especially with the ones, uh, the broadcast you're doing with the teams here in the US, opening up the game to an Australian audience is uh, part of what we're doing as well. But uh, you guys are, are helping uh, along with a few others. Uh, we really appreciate it because um, uh, the game is pretty well unknown to a lot of Australians, like uh, pretty much the same as what the game of Aussie rules is unknown to Americans. So keep up the good work. Uh, thanks. We appreciate it. Anything else there, Tom? No, I think you've actually covered it pretty well, mate. Normally you just cut to me straight away and I do that part, but you've actually covered it pretty well. So thank you for that. You <laughs> Obviously you're learning from my uh, constant doing it every week mate so no thank you for that it was nicely done but no thanks Chris for joining us mate from the sounds of it you do an absolute ripper job over there and you should be very proud of yourself for the stuff that you've done for you know the entire USAFL Atlanta Georgia area and everything mate so I tip my cap to you mate because it sounds like a lot of work you put in and as you said it's not very big uh, very well known a very well known game over there and so it's great what you do and you know I'm sure there's gonna be another project coming up very very shortly that you're gonna just somehow think of and try and get your head around so you know Thank you again for joining us, mate. We really do appreciate it. No worries. Cheers. Thanks.
Uh, thanks again for joining us for that episode of the CobraCast. Uh, this has been another episode in the US AFL week we're doing. Um, make sure you go check out their social media and follow along their journey as well as all the other teams we've got coming up. Uh, but where can everyone else go to find out about our stuff? Eto? Well, for our stuff, mate, they can go to Facebook and at Sandown Cobras FNC or search Sandown Cobras Football Netball Club. They can hit up our Instagram at Sandown Cobras FNC or hit up our, uh, our Twitter at Sandown Cobras. There is another page on there that is at Sandown Cobras FC. Ignore that page. That's no longer working. Twitter won't delete it. Um, but, mate, or you can, head, sorry, you can head to our website, www.sandowncobrasfnc.com.au. Or if you want to know more about USAFL, you can head to www.usafl.com. You can search United States Australian Football League on Facebook and Twitter. There's also uh, the, US, what is it, sorry, the US Footy News. They are a Facebook page and they do a podcast called Outside 50, which is hosted by, or the co-host is one of the people that we spoke to from Denver a couple of weeks ago. So make sure you go listen to that if you want to know a bit more about US Footy. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs> Thanks for watching the Cobra Cast with the present VP. And if you need somebody to talk to, why not contact New Life Psychology in Berwick? They are now taking phone appointments. Or you could head to otlr.com.au for tips and info. And we are supporters of TAC's Towards Zero campaign. Head to towardszero.vic.gov.au for more info because zero is the only acceptable number. Hey Siri, play the Cobra cast with the present VP.